Welcome to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. Today's episode, Shits and Giggles with Andrew Gerza. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Good. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for coming back on MDASH. Thanks for having me back so soon since I was last on. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear about your latest adventures with healthcare and hospitalizations. It was so... <laughs> yeah, there's been... Uh, the last time I talked to you was when in September, right? Yep. Like middle of September? Uh, w- maybe a little earlier, actually. Early, so, early September. All right. So like two weeks after that, I started having gastrointestinal things. And so I went to my doctor and they were like, oh, it's probably just IBS. So take some, you know, take, here's, take some Pepto and take some like probiotics and you'll be fine. Like, oh, okay. So I did that. And then I was on a bunch of antibiotics because I got another UTI because I was, I'm doing catheters. So when you, when you are, when you self catheterize a lot or have somebody do it for you, you run the risk of getting a lot of UTIs because of foreign bodies going inside you to pee, whatever. So, so that was happening. And then I got really bad stomach pains, really bad, like diarrhea. I wasn't getting better. And I, I I was like, okay, this is just IBS. I'll just deal with it. And then. One night, I was like, I'm really not feeling good. I'm going to go to the hospital. So they, they rushed me to the hospital. I got an ambulance, and, everything. and so I, they put me in Emerge in this in this, in this this quarantined room. And they were like, oh, you have C. diff. I was like, okay, I know what it is, but I also have no idea what it is. Tell me as if I don't know what it is. What is it? And they were like, well, it's a bacterial infection. When you take too many antibiotics, you, all your good gut flora gets destroyed. And so that's what's happened to you, and that's why you can't stop going to the bathroom, and you're having diarrhea, and that's why it smells really bad, and that's why you're really sick. And so I was like, okay, all right. Um, so what do we do? And they were like, well, we're going to have to admit you. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, the, like right away, I was like, all right. Admitting a disabled person means... It's not going to go well. <laughs> it, well, I mean, not necessarily that it won't go well, but yeah, it won't, it won't go to the gold standard that every hospital pretends like they adhere to. Um, because every disability is different and most hospital wards are so full up with patients that they don't have time to give proper care to a lot of them. And so they're just giving them the bare minimum. And when you're disabled like me, you need a lot of care all the time. Even on a good day. Yeah. On a good day, you need a lot of care. And so on a bad day, you need like extra care plus some TLC and so that just isn't something the hospital is prepped to provide um so they admitted me which I was sort of happy about initially but by I was there for about five days so by about day two lying in the same bed and kind of you know they then they would help me with changing here and there but you couldn't get up you couldn't there was no moving around they'd come in every couple hours and roll you and check on you but there was no like there was no getting up to move or being put in a chair because I was stuck to IV. So they're like, there was just as a disabled person, you need to be moved a lot and you need to be able to move so you don't get pressure sores. And so I was constantly worried about that, constantly worried about my, my disability causing my illness to get worse because they weren't moving me. So I would, I would have to yell at the nurses to get them to move me every couple of hours. And they'd be like, no, no, you're fine. And I was like, no, I'm not. Just move me anyway. So you had to advocate for yourself a lot. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, which I'm normally really good at doing, but when I'm when I was sick like that, 
it was like, I don't want to do this. This is not, I want you to figure out why I need you and just listen to what I'm saying and not make me scream at you and not make it a big deal. Um, one instance that I will never forget when I was there, I, it was but my third day there. And they had taken out, they had me on a Foley catheter and on, on IV for about two or three days. And on day three, they were like, okay, Andrew, we want, we want to take the Foley out and take your IV out. And I was hesitant because I was like, well, I'm lying in bed. I can't move. Wouldn't it make more sense for you to leave the Foley catheter in so that my body could just expel the waste and I could pee and we're good? And they were like, no, we want to make sure you're, you can cath. And I was like, okay, but also you've taken me off IV and you're not giving me water. So what exactly are you going to catheterize out of me if I'm not taking in liquid? And they were like, they were like, well, no, 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 let's do it this way. Let's. And I was like, okay, you're the doctors. I'm going to blindly trust you one more time because you're the doctors. And so they they said, all right, we'll take out the Foley. So they did. They took out the, they took out the IV. They did. And then, you know, three, four hours later, I still had had no water. And they come back into the catheter and I said, no, there's no liquid in here. What are you going to cath out? And the nurse was like, well, we can just cath. And I was like, no, 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 there's nothing. You will have nothing to cath, and you're going to put my body through trauma again for no reason. So I found my mom crying because I was really upset, and I was like, this is, they're being ridiculous. And at this point, I was sick, and I had lost a bunch of weight because of the C. diff, and I was just not happy to be there. This is day three, and they weren't sure when I was going home yet, and I was in this room alone. I was in an isolation room because of the C. diff, so I was alone, and I had nobody there, and I just was really upset, and I called her crying, and said, they're not, they're not giving me water. They won't give me water, and they've taken, out this, they've taken out this Foley, and they've taken out this IV, and I'm not getting hydrated, and how am I supposed to pee? And my mom said, all right, call the nurse back in and get them to go down to the kitchen and get you a, a normal bottle of water from, like, the vending machine and get them to give that to you, and you can drink that, and then in an hour you can do the, the catheter. And I was like, okay, that I guess that makes sense. I'll uh, sure. So I did. I I got. I called the nurse in, and the nurse goes, "Well, no, I can't bring you water right now because the kitchen is closed." And I said, "I said we're in a we're in a downtown hospital. You're telling me you couldn't find me water right now? I'm asking you for like liquid so I can hydrate myself so I can take care of this. Meanwhile, I'm having diarrhea every 20 minutes because of the C diff. So I I need to be hydrated because." because of the diarrhea. So I'm trying to explain to this nurse who should know because they're a nurse. So I'm, I'm trying to explain that I haven't been hydrated in six hours. I can't get up to do it. I need their help. And they refuse. Luckily, right at that moment, my brother had come to visit me. So I th and he was wearing a big giant, like a big giant um, mask and everything. And I thought he was an orderly. So I started yelling at him. <laughs> Not realizing it was your brother. Yeah. So I was like, you're going to get me some water. And if you guys don't, I'm going to. And he goes, hey, hey, whoa, it's your brother. It's me. It's me. And I was like, okay, okay. So he, we talked for a minute. I had a good cry. And he was like, listen, I'll go to your apartment. And I'll get one of your special bottles that you drink out of every day. Because I have seven or eight bottles that I can actually hold that are accessible to me um, that I can use. And he, said, he was like, okay, let me go get that. So he went to go get it, and he got it, and I was fine, and we managed to figure it out. But I just thought, this is the kind of stuff that make disabled people way sicker than they need to be because nobody listened to them. Well, this and why didn't they want to give you water? Was it that they would have to hold the cup and they didn't have an accessible 
bottle or well, what was their I, I had said to them if you just go down to your kitchen and get me a regular water bottle like a 500 milliliter water bottle I'm pretty sure that even if I make a little bit of a mess I can hold it and I'll be fine and the guy just didn't want to the guy refused because wow. it would it would have meant the nurse who was, who was a male nurse he just refused and said I'm not no we can't do that because the kitchen is closed which only made me more upset because I was trying to explain to him that you you the hospital have not hydrated me in about six hours. What exactly, what are you going to take out of my body if there's nothing in there? Well, and it sounds like they probably, I, I imagine they have pitchers of water and little cups um, that they keep in the nurse's station, but those wouldn't be helpful to you. And so, you know, even if they were open to hydrating you, if they don't have um, cups or anything that you can hold or a water bottle, um, you're not going to get the hydration you need. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's so simple. And like when you're, disabled having to advocate like that and i and i was like i took a picture of myself in the hospital for a friend and we were t we were texting back and forth and i looked back at that picture the other day and i was like whoa i looked really i was not <laughs> all right and i mean that's the scary thing about things like c diff and and kind of diseases like this because a lot of disabled people get a lot of infections because of their just because of the care they're provided with and so when I got this infection, I, I listened to the doctor and said, okay, you say antibiotics, I'll listen to you. Like, sure. And so to think that it put me through all of that, like, I'm just getting better now. And I, I had it for what I think was two months. And my doctor misthought miss it was IBS. And so, again, I listened to my doctor thinking that you have the knowledge to, like, that you're, you're going to do what's best. And so, like, I was... I am not. I wasn't angry at her. I was just angry that her lack of like, let's look at the symptoms again, would not lead her to think C diff. Because hmm. as soon as I got into emerge that night, they they all knew. They immediately. They didn't tell me what it was yet, but you could tell just by the way that they were talking to me and moving around me and checking things out. They knew right away what was happening to me. And then I, of course, once I knew what it was, I went on Google and started reading about it, which I, I don't recommend reading about. <laughs> I'm sure it was terrifying. It was terrifying because basically if you don't treat it really fast, you die because your body, you get dehydrated and then your body just says, okay, we're done. And I thought, okay, I'm already sick. I'm already kind of like not, I'm not, not, not that I'm already sick, but I'm already disabled. So this is, I'm going to deteriorate really fast. And so th these are the things when it's two in the morning and you're by yourself in that room. This is the stuff that's running through your head. Is it like, oh no? Well, it's got to be terrifying because you're probably, I mean, after looking at Google and you know you're not taking in enough water and you're frustrated and you're sick and you're not feeling good, I can see how you could quickly go to a really dark place. Oh, I was, I, and I, I, I was lucky enough that I didn't, I didn't stay in darkness too much. Like I, there was a day where I was a definite in a dark place and my mom had to literally yell me out of it and be like, you're not going to do this. You're fine. Be, you're okay. But I just, and so that happened with the water. And then on the last day I was there, the doctors came into me in the morning and said, okay, we think we're going to send you home today or tomorrow. We need you to have a hard stool, which at that point was like, yeah, right. That's never going to happen again. And I was like, I'm going to have diarrhea the rest of my life. Like this is not, like, this will never be normal again. And I, like, I literally called my mom the night before and said, am I ever going to, is this ever going to end? Or am I just going to like what do I do? And she was like, no, no, you're fine. Just don't, like, just trust me. You're okay. Because I was really, I hadn't had a, a form stool in about two weeks at that point. Wow. Um, 
So I was just terrified because I was like, oh, my God. what? Like I, and I never had – I had had IBS problems as a kid with constipation. So that – I like, I'm used to being a little bit constipated all the time. As a disabled person, when you don't move and have lower, mo- lower motility, being constipated is kind of like a normal thing that you deal with. So I know how to take fiber pills and do all the stuff that I have to do to take care of myself. But this – constant diarrhea was like what do i what is happening because you can't take care of yourself so you're a care worker if you have an accident or something happens to you which when you have c diff happens every 20 minutes literally every 20 minutes you're shitting yourself um to be quite frank no no (laughs) hey i mean that's that's what it is that's what it is and so i when you're disabled it just makes it that much more worse because you can't run to the toilet and you can't do any of that i mean i've been lucky that I've been off the antibiotics now for a few weeks and everything went back to normal. But when I first went home, the first night I was, okay, so let me backtrack. The story I was telling you was that, so it was my last day there and they said, okay, Andrew, we think you're gonna go home today or tomorrow, but you need to have a form stool. And at this point I'm lying in, in what is like my 37th diaper change in the last oh. five days. And so I'm I'm like, yeah, right. That's, that's never gonna <laughs> you're happen. You're like, best of luck to you. That's never yeah. gonna happen. Good luck, dog, whatever. So so. So then I um, I said to them, okay, well, in order for me to do that, I have to sit up on a toilet like everybody else does when they use the bathroom because how do you expect me to do this if I'm lying prone on my back? How Does anybody go to the bathroom that way? No. So how, like I said, you're going to have to get me out of this bed. And it was partially because I wanted to get out of the bed and just sit <laughs> up. And, so, you're kind of tricking them a little bit. Yeah. I was using that to get out of, out of to get just to get out of the bed because I literally had not been out of the bed in five days. I've been sitting in that bed, staring at my phone, and thank God they had Wi-Fi there because I was watching like thank God for Netflix. I was watching every show on Netflix that ever existed or that I had missed over the last few months. But I wanted out of this bed, so they, the the PCA and the nurse came in and they were like, no no no, you could just you could just go in the diaper, and I said no I can't and I won't. And that's not what we're doing, because I want to have a poo like a normal person, please. And that's literally what I said. And they rolled their eyes at me, and were like, wow, well, you, you could just, just go in the diaper. It's easier for everyone. And I said, it's not easier for me, and this is not what we're doing. So they had to they had to find the, the Hoyer lift, which is a big, giant lift. And in, like there are so many different kinds. The one they brought must have been from, like, 1965. <laughs> Was it, it one was, of the ones that looks like a claw machine from a yeah, carnival? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like old and orange and really, I don't understand how it worked. And they didn't know how to put me in it. And I was too sick to like direct them. But I had to let them figure it out. So I had to sit there while they rolled me over and figured it out and like try to do all this. And at the same time, I'm trying to hold my sphincter in to not poo. The diarrhea is happening. And so all this stuff's happening. And finally, they sit me on the toilet, and I go, and they're like, it's formed. It didn't feel formed to me because I'm so sick, and, like, I've been having diarrhea forever. Like, But, so, they sat me, so, no, before they sat me down, they said to me, they said again, well, why don't you just go in the diaper? And I looked at the nurse in the eye with a glare, and I said, would you go in a diaper? <laughs> and, she said, and she said, no, and I said, exactly, the, exactly my point. Neither will I, and neither, and we're not going to do that right now. Good for you. I said, if I need a diaper, I'll let you know. Right now, I'd like to do this as normally as possible, please. And so they 
they sat, they they like had to sit there while I went, which is super awkward. But I was like, I don't at this point, I don't care. Um, <laughs> and do you think it was more awkward for them or you? I think it was more awkward for them because I have care all the time. Like I have people when I'm at home when I'm using the toilet. Literally, this is what's happening. My attendant's walking around my house going, "Okay, so what do you want for breakfast? Okay, so what can I get for you over here?" So I'm used to people like. I'm used to no privacy in all these moments, so I just don't care. If I got, if I have to go, I'll just go. at this point, I just go when I really don't think about, I don't worry so much about in privacy, especially around the care I know. It was awkward for them because I was yelling at them and I was not. <laughs> the I yelling was, kind of upped the awkward factor just a little yeah, bit. I was not passive to their like, well, I don't know, whatever. I was very direct, and I hate doing that when you're when you're sick especially when you're sick and disabled at the same time and you know that you need help with literally everything and somebody who's supposed to be who's being paid handsomely by by the hospital to help you is not doing that and is is lording their ableist viewpoints over you when you just want them to listen to you it's like well what am i supposed to do now well and you wanted to do something super basic which is to get up out of bed and enjoy a poop mm. on a toilet yeah like with, everyone else like and every like, we've all had our morning constitutional exactly and you were five days overdue for your morning constitutional yeah. after after a week of diapers um asking to be set up on the toilet that's not asking a lot no and i mean then there's also like the diaper rash and all the things that i was dealing with um which when you're a 33 year old man who works in sex and disability being like oh i have diaper rash it's like oh great how do i like <laughs> what do I? as though your week weren't going bad enough you yeah know, you return from the hospital with diaper rash like there are moments where and no so i returned from so they did it and i went home that day to have because i had quote unquote form stool which i did not believe again at the time and then i got home and like 20 seconds after i got in the shower i had diarrhea again so i immediately panicked and i was like oh my god what do i do so the next morning i rushed back to the er out of complete fear because their direction was if you have fever if you have diarrhea if you have anything come come back so i did what i was told i went back the next morning freaking out in complete like anguish being like oh fuck this is happening again yeah and the doc the the er doc looks at me and goes you're fine go home <laughs> which it does make it difficult to know how to interpret you know if the direction is come back if you have diarrhea and you go home and you have diarrhea going back seems like you're following directions yeah that's what i thought i was doing and especially because because i think the trouble with er docs is they don't know how to handle disabled patients i've no, i've seen this a lot when i'm in the er and i've been in the er recently a lot so they don't know how to talk to disabled patients about disability and why it's why it's frustrating is because you're if you when when I was having diarrhea, my care staff had to take care of all of that, so it's putting a huge strain on them and me, and our whole dynamic is off because I am sick, and they did it for me. My care staff is, is okay; they did it for me. But trying to explain to I want to be admitted back to the hospital, doctor, because I want you to make sure that when I leave the hospital, I'm okay. And I said that like the day before I left, initially I said to my team I said I don't really know if I should leave can you let me stay for the weekend because I'm just scared and they were like no no you're fine go home you're okay but explaining to them the the like extra labor that going home as a disabled sick person means 
I don't think they quite get. It's a really good point. I mean, when you think about, you know, if someone goes home with diarrhea that's less bad than it was, uh, and it's someone who does not live with a disability, and they go home, then they may be running back and forth to the toilet, but it's not a massive, um, you know, it's not a massive disruption to their life. But if you have diarrhea when you go home, you, that may mean your entire day with your care staff is is spent, um, you know, having diarrhea and getting cleaned up. Yeah, it's basically, like, literally, before I got this looked at properly, and when I thought it was IBS, for, for four days, I was in diapers, just, like, just having accident after accident, and feeling the shame of that, and also, because I was, I'm a podcaster, and I do work around sex and disability, so... On top of that, I was podcasting about how great sex and disability was, but I was like... <laughs> While you're sitting in a diaper full of shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it was like, how... And, I, but, you know, and also when I was in the hospital, I, you, you, not only was I thinking, like, I'm going to get sicker and sicker and I'm disabled and this is going to happen, I was also thinking, am I ever going to have sex again? Am I ever going to... Like, who's going to find this? What's happening? Attractive. Obviously nobody. But, like, you just... And because... Because of ableism and because of all the things we're taught about disabled people, whether consciously or unconsciously, you begin to internalize the fact that, oh, you're just a disabled, dirty guy that can't take care hmm. of himself. And of course you're shitting yourself. And of course you would get sick. And if, like all these, all these really bad tapes we're playing because you're by yourself. You can't control anything. Nobody really understands what it is that you need because you're the one in the, in the disabled body trying to, to guide them. And they have no idea. And you're just like, well, what do I do now? Like, what? And so all these thoughts about, am I going to ever be seen as attractive again? Am I ever going to have sex? Like, all this, which is so stupid and so juvenile at the time. But it's not stupid. I mean, it isn't stupid. It's a fear. It's a normal fear to have come up. And if you think about all the, ta all the taboo around feces and filth and, the, you know, the that kind of, those taboos that are kind of, um, I think, kind of hammered into us when we're young that yeah. it's normal for those to start rearing their ugly head when you're in the hospital in a diaper it just was compounded by the fact that i'm also i'm also in the medical community i'm considered <laughs> what is severely disabled i don't believe that i think i'm severely sexy but I... with with a with a side of mild disability yeah that's right so but <laughs> So, but that's what they, that's what they think. And so when you, when all those tapes start playing, like when everybody has to come into your room in a gown and a thing, you just start really feeling like it's like, what is this quarantine? Like, what is this like? Well, it kind of reinforces that idea of being untouchable. Um, you know, when you're in an isolation unit and people, uh, you know, have gloves and have goggles and have a mask and have booties and it does send a message to you, even though it's not intended. It sends a message that there's something wrong with you that they don't want to get. Yeah, yeah. And you and know it's... that it's C. diff in your head, but I bet those tapes also play like how much of this is also about my disability, even though it's not. Even though you know it's not about your disability and that's not why they're wearing gloves and a mask, I bet it triggers some of those feelings about being untouchable. Oh yeah, and then pe people offered friends might offer to come over and visit, and I said I, I was so ashamed of how, what was happening. I just said, don't please don't come, please wait till I'm like, somewhat better, and then we'll talk about it. But there was, definitely some moments where I was like, I don't want you here because I'm afraid of, how you'll view me. You already view me as a like 
so many people, even though they support what I do and they, they're my friends, they view me with a, I'm able-bodied, he's not. Then, mm-hmm. but I think, and I think that's an unconscious thing people do. So I was like, great, you're gonna come and see me. What is the sick disabled guy? Like, I already have enough. To, like, I already have enough of you, of your own and my own ableism to deal with as friends. Period. I don't want to add this to that. Um, but it did also make me think of like, I'm a single guy. I'm not seeing anybody right now. Part of me was like, would a partner that I cared about stay like be here for this? And so, so much of my so much of the medical stuff that's happened to me, I've had to do it on my own. Like going to the hospital, um, I went initially alone, and then I went two weeks later alone, and the, like so to for the checkup and the, like, and I went two weeks after that alone just because I was so scared. But it, like I don't, I don't because of disability and because of sometimes like self isolation because of ableism, you don't have. I mean, and my family would be there at the drop of a hat if I needed them to. But I'm saying like. A friend group. So the last time I was there, my friend was like, "Oh, I'm ten minutes away. I'll come and see you in the uh, in the ER." And he was so sweet about it because he only spent about fifteen minutes with me. But to know that he would like drop his day and have his boyfriend come and like drop him off just to make sure I was all right. I was like, "You're that's really cool." Most disabled people who are adults go to the ER alone and do all this stuff alone. And so there's a there's a big part of me whenever I get sick and go to the hospital that's like. I'm really wishing that one time a partner that I was kind of like involved with would stay. And I'm always worried that they won't. And again, these are tapes that play because when somebody gets sick, what do you have? You have your girlfriend or your husband or your significant other come with you. I've never had that. So these are little like vignettes in my head that I, that I probably shouldn't play, but that do come up. Well, and I'm sure you go through that kind of lens of, would I be dating someone who would want to be here with me? And would I want that person to be with me? You know, because, yeah. because you see, t- you know, movies and television, always there's this, you know, loving, significant other who is unblinking in the face of diapers filled with shit and is just amazing. And But most of us don't have that actual partner in our lives. Um, yeah. So if you're alone in the hospital, I bet a lot of those tapes play. Yeah, they, and they do play. And also because you want somebody there when the stupid e, when the ER doctors, and I say stupid because, like, not all of them are, but a lot of the, a lot of the people they bring to you before they bring you the doctor that's going to be doing anything and ordering things, they're just med students trying to figure Like, the first guy that came in the last time I was there, and I went in on a Saturday night at, like, 8 o'clock because I was scared. I was, I was having weird stool things again, which I think was just my stool forming again. But I was freaking out. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go to the hospital again. So I go, and they, I finally see the ER, the, ER, the ER guy. And he was like, okay, I'm going to palpate your belly. And I was like, great. Um, is that going to de- de- determine anything? And he was like, no. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, that, <laughs> okay. So then 20 minutes later when his boss doctor, like I think she was his attending, she came in. See, that's, that's as much as I know about Grey's Anatomy, right? Thanks, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Everything you know about hospital staff you learned from Grey's yeah. Anatomy. Pretty much. So, like, she came in and I, I explained my fear. And I was like, I, I, am I ever going to be able to stop feeling the urgency to poo? And she was like, no, could just be part of the CP. And I was wow. like, so what do I do in this instance? And she was like, well, 
you could just take some Imodium. And I was like, yeah, but your team of people, when I was admitted two weeks ago, said not to do that. What, what, like, whose direction do I follow? So I don't, th- and I, I had had a work thing the next day to go to. And I was like, I don't want to shit myself during, like, during this work thing. Plus, I want to get out of the house because I've been cooped up and isolated for weeks. I need to go do my job now and see people. And um, they were like, oh, well, you know, just take some Lepermai, which is Imodium, and, and then you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, again, I will follow your direction. No problem. Sure. But also, what the fuck, guys? Like, well, the one note says, what, like, who am I listening to? Right. So I don't think, like, I don't think they understand that the urgency for somebody who's not disabled is probably okay because you can run to the toilet. For me, it was, it's like, if I shit myself at this work thing, then my social capital that I have built to do the thing. Yeah, we'll go to literally. (laughs) So, so there's so many things that I think our medical community needs to, and I don't know, I don't think I have a solution for how they fix it right away, but I think that they need to listen to disabled people when they say, I feel uncomfortable because this, I feel uncomfortable because the treatment you're suggesting will alter my life and you're not going to be there. I'm going to be there. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like, you know, when you, when you were asking, will this sense of urgency go away? And the physician said, you know, maybe not, maybe it's part of the CP. That must've been terrifying to hear because, and also confusing because you've had CP your whole life. And you have not been shitting yourself your whole life. So I'm sure you were kind of baffled by that. Like, if this is part of the CP, it, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Is it worse? Like, what's going on? Um, I was be- actually more annoyed. I was like, <laughs> You weren't puzzled. You were just completely annoyed. No, because CP is a go-to answer. Like, CP is the answer you say when you, can sit, when you think that CP is the primary reason for everything that it could ever wrong with Andrew which again feeds into the tape of like Andrew you are not good you are you are ill you of course you would get this of course you would contract C. diff because you have CP when you look at the numbers around C. diff pretty much everybody's at risk for it all the time right when you think back to your hospitalization was there one moment where there was a healthcare provider that did an amazing job or said something that made you feel like they really saw you and understood you. They tried. There was one doctor. Her name was Malin. Like melon, was, like watermelon. Like I think so. She, I, I never saw the spelling, but it, I think it was Malin or melon or anyway. She was a med student, and she looked like a character from. <laughs> she looked like a character from Grey's Anatomy. So <laughs> I never told her this, but I just thought in my head, "Oh, you're you're that person. I'm gonna like pretend for the next five days that you're this person." And so she, I remember when I was really scared about going home, she came and sat with me for like 20 minutes and just listened to me be like, I'm scared because what about this? And like, again, she had no answers for me. Her answers were the same as what they all were telling me. But the fact that she was willing to sit and listen and also their head of gastroenterology came and saw me and just sat with me. And he said, listen, if you feel uncomfortable, here's my email here's my card, call me anytime and we'll, we'll do something for you. And I was like, it's a small, it was a small gesture, but it made me feel a little bit better. Even when I felt like shit, I was like, okay, these two people get it, which is why when I went back to the ER the next day and I got like rock star 
ED doc who thought he was the shit. Like, he literally, he, not to bring it back to Grey's Anatomy, but I'm going to do it anyway. But he literally, he literally thought he was like Alex Karev in season one. And I, yeah, and I, I just rolled my eyes at him like, you're ridiculous. Like, just, like, he, 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 like, strutted in the room. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, just help me, like, help me out. When I'm telling you I want to stay, and I'm asking you to be admitted. I'm asking you because I'm scared. Either give me an answer that I feel comfortable with. Don't tell me to just go home and deal with it. Like, that doesn't help. And I, so I think the language around the way doctors talk to disabled people, they, there needs to be a course on, okay, so you're, you're going you're gonna to discharge this disabled person. What does that mean for them? What does the, so you've done all the papers. They're going home. They have their special transport back to their house. I'm not sure how it works in the States, but in in Ontario, you can get a special transport um, from the hospital to your house that the government will pay for. So I did that. And so, okay, so they're going home and they're home now. And the course should outline the case. Okay, so what, what, are they, what does that look like? What does that mean for them? What does that mean for their care staff? Why, why might a patient be so persistent that they would say, please let me stay? Let me stay in a place where I can be constantly monitored for just 24 hours so I can feel safe. And I don't like hospitals. I thought I, I used to love them. I think I said on my last time I was with you that I love them. <laughs> you don't love them anymore. Yeah. Now that I've been in one literally once a week for like a month. <laughs> you changed your mind. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, I'm still fascinated with them in this weird like ER, Grey's Anatomy sort of what's happening kind of way. But like I just... The way they the way they don't understand different bodies, and the way they try to medicalize the disabled body in a way that is so dangerous. See, and that's why I wanted to come back because I was like, because we had just talked about all this stuff, and then two weeks later, it literally <laughs> all happened to me again. So, when I saw you were looking for guests, I was like, oh my god. I was so happy you reached out again, mainly because I had such a great time talking to you the first time, but also because I wanted to hear about your latest adventures with healthcare, and uh, and hear how things went when you were in the hospital. And it sounds I mean, like things did not go well. I mean, things things went. I mean, things could have gotten way worse. They went considerably okay, but it speaks to the ableism in the in our medical system. Like, they only go so far as. That person is disabled, so everything around their dis everything around their illness must also be related to their disability. And in part, that's true, but in part, that's not true. And I think the medical community needs to understand that, um, and they don't. Everybody with a disability is a little bit different, and I'm sure they're trained on this in basic like 101 day. But when you start dealing with real people, you need to snap to it a little bit faster than we are. Like. Yeah. And so one of the ways that we can fix that is cough, cough, shameless plug. Hire, <laughs> hire me. Hi, I'm here. I'm better. I'm not shitting in diapers anymore. <laughs> like, you can hire me. I'm actually, I'm sending out a bunch of emails to a bunch of schools today looking for work to talk about, to talk about my, my staple is sexuality and disability. But I also do other work around um, just how disability feels generally. And this isn't an area that I've talked to doctors before and local clinics about this stuff, but I would love to come to a hospital in the U.S. or like a medical community in the U.S. Hi, cough, cough, I'm here. 
Um, shameless plug, shameless plug. I think it's fantastic. And there's there shouldn't be shame in you promoting your work. I have always said, and, and I firmly believe, that when we talk about addressing some of the isms in healthcare, whether that is racism or heterosexism or homophobia or ableism, that it is incredibly important to seek out people from the community that you're hoping to do a better job serving and pay with money those people to do the in-service. We have, unfortunately, a man, there is no shortage of, and and not to, you know, sell out my fellow white women in the world, but there's no shortage of white (laughs) cisgender heterosexual women who are hanging a shingle and doing training on everything. Um, And it's really important, I say, as a white woman, that we begin yielding the floor to people who actually have a right to speak and let them get paid to do this work. So I I wholeheartedly endorse you uh, to go out and do that work. And for any medical communities and hospitals and universities that are listening, uh, I hope that they will reach out use your email and information that'll be at the end of the show notes and reach out to you, hire you and pay you. And I hate to reiterate the and pay you, but all too often I hear anything around diversity. There seems to be this vibe that people who are somehow quote unquote different should be just grateful that someone wants to listen to how you can take better care of them. Um, And so I say, no, people need to be paid to do that work. Yeah. Exactly. I've started. I started a hashtag a few months ago, and then I let it drop. But I picked it up again the other day. I started a hashtag called "Compensate Cripples." I saw that. I loved that. I, I, that is awesome. So I put it on my email signature at the end. We're like, "Here's how you can support me." And at the end, it's like hashtag Compensate Cripples. And I just think it's funny. But what it's really also saying is like, "You want me to tell my story?" Right. Where's like where's the money? <laughs> right. Well, and like any other profession, you know, it any any profession, any group of people who are called upon to educate other professionals um, are paid to do that work and yeah. should be paid. And so, if it is a skill that ultimately makes a hospital or healthcare provider better at what they're doing, ultimately, um, you know, better able to give good patient care, better able to get good patient satisfaction surveys better able to stay in business, better able to make money, which is all of those things that motivate people, then they should pay. I was part of a panel in the U.S. about healthcare, and we talked, people all over the U.S. called into this number, and they did a survey, and listening to these stories, as a disabled person from where I was sitting in my house, listening to these stories and nodding my head going, yep, every single one of us, every single one of us had a horror story to relate to this survey, a friend of mine, we did a podcast together. They started the hashtag called hashtag med trauma chat. It's a hashtag where people can come and talk about the times they were, you know, shitty things happened to them in the hospital as disabled people. So I would really recommend it. There's, there's a real degree of humility that I think healthcare professionals can and should have when they're looking at social media. I mean, it's a great opportunity to understand people's lived experiences. Exactly. And and hashtags are absolutely a fantastic way to get insight into that and to follow a conversation without being the person who's the focus of it. Because so often healthcare professionals are presenting and they're presenting at conferences, but to be, to watch and to be part of a thread where you're watching you know, all of the hashtag, all of the posts in the hashtag, 
um, all of those tweets and to see it and it's not about them they're not presenting they're and receiving you're, and you're, yeah um, they're receiving and it's happening to them in real time they're not presenting to their colleagues who already know what they're going to present about they are from real people who have no medical knowledge being like this shit happened to me what do i do right and that's and that is who healthcare professionals can and should be learning from you know about how to do better because we have to do better we have to be better and there's no shortage of examples exactly. out there about how healthcare professionals are failing people with disabilities and we have an opportunity to do better in learning from persons with exactly. disabilities and listening to what yep. they need yep I'm so glad you joined me on the show again. This was, was awesome, so Andrew. Well, thanks for it joining so me great. today. It was so great. I'd love to come back again. Awesome. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to MDASH, the healthcare podcast that gives you pause. For show notes from today's episode, visit www.em-podcast.com.